The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Welcome back from the snow, my friend. Yeah, it's good to be back. You know what? Welcome to the Bleachers. This is the Bleacher Blums podcast. I am Jeff Blum, my co-host David Tuttle across the way, and of course our producer Mark Ramos is, is on this podcast. And... It's funny you say that, Tuttle, because, you know, the Christmas break is over. Yes, I went on vacation with my family again during Christmas. I tried to encapsulate the entire trip in about a 60-second video on my Instagram. So if you're following myself, Blummer27, on Twitter and Instagram, you'll get some updates. You can also follow my good buddy, David Tuttle, at RealDavidTuttle on Instagram and on Twitter. He is a He's a workout guy. But talking about the trip, getting back from Park City, there there's a lot of things to unpack on a winter trip to a winter destination. But the first thing is, is when I was gone, I totally Ted cruised this thing by, by leaving the frozen tundra of Houston to go skiing, go snowboarding, have a good time with the family, enjoy Christmas. But have you... In avoiding the devastating freeze that was here in Houston, which wasn't so devastating because the electricity actually stayed on, it's like it never happened. I come back and it's 75 degrees here, dude. It is the weirdest thing. It's like, what freeze? Freeze didn't happen. What are you talking about? Isn't that the craziest thing coming back after zero degrees and partying on a vacation, coming back and now it's 75 degrees in Houston. This is the most bizarre weather environment I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah, I think Texas is famous for that. I don't. I mean, Ooh. it's famous for a lot of things, but I think the weather for sure. Um, you have Southern California weather there. You got us beat. I think it's like fifty-five this morning here. So, Ooh. yeah, it's it's an unusual thing. And I think the freeze was. Uh, I think Southwest tried to get out from under. I'm glad you didn't fly Southwest. Oh dear God! To, uh, I know. So my mom was flying home on Southwest, and she ended up driving home. But uh, anyway, and we're leaving next week to go. Are you sure she got caught up in that? Uh, a little bit. I mean, you know, you know how it is. Southern California to NorCal is an hour flight. Um, but my mother-in-law was here yeah. and she lives up there. So they just stayed an extra day and then drove up the next day. It was not a problem. So anyway, yeah. I always go to outliers with that. So anyway, you were talking about the weather, not the uh, flight challenges, but it's nice that you weren't flying that. It is it is a little unusual, um, but you consistently talk about how Houston uh, goes from 
you know, minus 10 to 70 to 50 to windy to snowy, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, least. it's a pretty, so the only, uh, what are the, the only constant has changed. So just like baseball, just like life, the only constant has changed. Yeah. So get used to it. Yeah. Are you a, are you a winter guy? Are you a, a ski? We talked about how our contracts last podcast kind of prevented us from doing stuff. Have you been able to go out with the kids and, and take them skiing, snowboarding? Have you done anything like that? Oh, uh, we have. I mean, it sounds like, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, this is all based on a 60 second video because I'm sure your vacation was much more enjoyable and long than that, longer than that. But, uh, you know, you have two snowboarders and four skiers. I think you, uh, you started mm-hmm. ticking it off. Yep. Um, we, I have taken it. I mean, we had ski school in Mammoth a couple times with them, but both windy nice. times. Um, and you know how the winter sports, like I played hockey growing up and that was pretty expensive. I mean, I only played for two years before I moved to the, but I mean, could you imagine being a skiing family, like growing all the time, like oh. every year jackets and like, I know. So lift tickets. I mean the gear, yeah. good God, yeah. man, it's expensive. Yeah. The, it is. The only way to do it is to be like a skier skier. Like I know our neighbors got the icon pass or whatever, right? And they're going to ski seven oh. times this year and it's going to make up the money for sure. But mm. uh, if you don't do that, like you said, it's pretty steep. And so that answers the question, which is we don't do it very often. Um, we're actually going to go up to Montana. We're not going specifically to ski, but if we go up to Big Sky one day, we do. Oh, that's right. That- you, you had on the video, we do that tubing. We'll do the tubing sledding. That is so fun. We'll do that Dude, too. That's the best. So we'll, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so we'll we'll probably do like ski school one day, or you know, not ski school now, but you know, rent <laughs> skis, go one day of skiing, and then do inner tubing, uh, and you know, we'll just see what the weather you know kind of brings. But we're not we're not diehard winter people. But I think, like you said, we touched on last time, uh, snowmobiling, snowboarding, skiing. It's all on the table now. So now there's no you know. We took the took the e break off. We're ready to go if uh, if the opportunity <laughs> presents itself. So, yeah, and it's been an interesting week in sports again. I mean, there is a saga going with uh, Carlos Correa, who is still not under contract. He's had he's had two contracts of what about six hundred and six or three hundred and yeah six hundred and sixty five million dollars or something crazy like that and he hasn't agreed or been able to ink one of them yet and i think a lot of interesting stuff is floating around that so uh, maybe that's the first thing we talk about is dig in on carlos correa steve cohen a little bit because the initial report was is that he was going to be a san francisco giant and my good friend david tuttle is a san francisco <laughs> giant fan it was interesting to talk about that and see what the possibilities of having a superstar like Carlos Correa, who I still believe is a superstar and has the potential to put up massive numbers throughout his career. But he had that 13-year deal. That got squashed because of the medical reviews that they did on him. Proceeds to get a contract with the New York Mets. That one is now on hold because of medicals. I'm not sure what you've read or what you've seen or what you've heard, but what what? Give me some thoughts on what's going on with this Carlos Correa situation uh, in your head, David. Yeah, so um, you know, I I I wish I knew. I mean, I, you know, my my profession out of baseball is medical, and so I know the HIPAA and you know, there's PHI protected health information. Those are two really important things in our industry. So I think if it's a real issue, you won't hear a lot, and so this kind of belies the point that I think it's a real issue because we haven't heard specifically what it is. Now, if it was something like, I don't know, if it was something innocuous or it was uh, kind of reported behind the scenes that Boris 
was putting two or three deals in place because, you know, he wanted the best deal for his client and, you know, wanted to make sure everything mm-hmm. was uh, buttoned up. Um, but I don't think it's insignificant from a medical standpoint. But to your point, and I think we tend to lean towards pro player, Correa is, you know, he's been playing at a high level for a pretty long time. He's got many uh, yeah. good at bats left in him. I mean, this is this now comes down to an algorithm again, right? They they know that they're going to give up three or four years on the back end, but I think he has five or six good years in him. I don't think he had any medical issues last year. So, I mean, if they're talking about like the stability of his ankle or the deterioration of you know some cartilage somewhere, I mean, I I don't. I mean, does that really preclude Steve Cohen from signing him? I mean, Steve Cohen's. T- He's made crazier uh, business investments before. So I'd like to kind of ask you about it because I think you typically have a little more intel and more insight. Um, You also had towards the Mm. end of your career, I remember you had a rib issue and then I think it was a wrist issue, but you had a, you know, I mean, what, what do the teams do from a training standpoint? Once you're under contract, they take awesome care of you. But if you had gone back in, if you had decided not to retire and then they started looking at your, um, you know, like your rib cartilage or, you know, whatever, your wrist, things like that. Are these hangups mm-hmm. for them to sign you for another year? I'm assuming they are because it's a liability. But what what do you know about behind the scenes? Um, maybe not specifically to Carlos Correa, but how they handle the medical. Um, I mean, remember mm-hmm. Magic Johnson, this is how he he did a life insurance policy with the Lakers and it, you know, came out that he had HIV. I mean, they do a very detailed physical and they do try to oh, cover man. all their bases pun intended but give me some insight yeah. into what you think the medical protocol is and then how that relates specifically to Carlos I've I obviously I've negotiated contracts in the major leagues 14 years in the major leagues and I I've negotiated 12 contracts during that time and even though I wasn't a high value guy I still had some contracts that needed medical you know provisions checked off before they actually signed the contracts now the the process at least the way I've gone through it and the way I've understood other guys going through it and granted that's changed over time back in my day when I was doing this you know, we actually had physical like paper that was written on that gave a well-documented uh, series of events that happens in a player's career. So no lie, I've seen my medical file and it's a good two or three inches thick. And what they do when you, when you, this travels with you, it goes from you from organization to organization. They just keep piling on, adding information and, you know, it, it will contain uh, you know, reasons why you didn't play a couple of games during a week. It will uh, document every bump and bruise pretty much. It'll document almost, it, it, well, what they started to do later in my career, about halfway through it, they started to document every pill <laughs> that was that was going Uh-oh. out of the, uh, yeah, that's exactly right, <laughs> that was going out of the training room because they started to document a lot of that stuff. So if you took a Z-pack, they knew you took a Z-pack and how often or when. Uh, they knew every cortisone shot, every Toradol shot, every, you know, every one of those things that went into your body. If there was a reason you went on the injured list, there was a, you know, there was a well-documented reason and rehab process to the injured list. So all of these things are going into this medical file so that when you do sign, and I had this happen to me, I believe it was with San Diego and I go and sign with them. They take that chunk of paper, they go through it, they read it, and then they come back to you and go, okay, we, we saw something in there. Cause I had, uh, before I signed with Maybe, yeah, before I signed with San Diego, I think I had two elbow surgeries and they wanted me to go in and do another MRI, do, have them do an MRI. So the team I was going to sign with, they wanted to do an MRI on my arm 
to make sure that it wasn't, you know, ready to break down or if there was other damage or if there was more shrapnel floating around in there that I, they needed to worry about before they signed the contract. So, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get requests to go get an MRI, to go, you know, do scans, do the, you know, meet with their doctors, meet with their trainers before you get that contract. So that's just kind of the preliminary part of it. But the Carlos Correa part that's really interesting to me is it's not the current issues that he's had because as an Astro commentator in the past, I've been able to watch Carlos Correa's career and some of the stuff that he had happen in the big leagues, like the lower back always kind of concerns me for an infielder that's his size at a, at a legitimate six foot four bending over. So you're going, okay, lower back, that that's a red flag for me. I'm going to check that out, investigate it, see where that progress is at. His last two years, he's played, I think, a total of 140 games per season, so things are trending in the right direction for him. But the issue at hand, and this isn't an article I read in The Athletic, is a lower leg injury he had when he was 19 years old. Had a little bit of a stress fracture. I think he had a plate put in there. And this is the one that keeps popping up. And that's what's kind of crazy to me, because is there a statute of limitations on that surgery he had to repair the ankle or the, the shin or whatever it was? And th that's what's kind of crazy to me. But there's a lot of things to unpack. So when, when he didn't get the contract from the Giants, Boris negotiates the contract with the Mets. One of the things that jumped at me was the fact that Carlos said, yes, I'll agree to one less year, less money per year. And guess what? I'll move to third base just to sign this deal. That kind of that that surprised me a little bit because this is a Carlos Correa takes a lot of pride in being a shortstop and garnering that kind of annual average salary. And for him to take a hit uh per year and move to third base kind of set off a little bit of an alarm going, hmm, I wonder if he if he knows what's going on and just said, Hey man, I'll do whatever it takes to get this contract done. That's the best point I think that you've made. And, and, and I mean, it's all relevant, but I think it's funny because, you know, as you and I get older back in our day, we keep saying back in my day, I mean, you know, <laughs> stuff gets creaky and the medical professionals do realize like, okay, he had a plate put in at 19. Maybe that plate doesn't last a long time, but I mean, he has had no baseball issues, no professional baseball issues regarding that. No, you know, nobody's ever brought it up. And so now they are. But I think what you brought up is the key point to this whole thing, which is willing to take less money, less year and move to third base. Now, there are a couple of reasons for that. Right. And, you know, if you gave him some truth serum, you know, KD to the Warriors was like that. Right. Like when Kevin Durant mm -hmm. left to go to the Warriors, people were like, well, this is ridiculous. They've won a couple world championships. And now you're taking this guy like, are they a real team? They're just stacking their team. Well, I mean, with the Mets, you look at the Mets and, oh, my God, you know, they got Scherzer and they got Verlander. Maybe Verlander texted him and said, dude, if you come over here, Lindor is an awesome shortstop. Just play third base for like two years. We can win the World Series. That's a good point. You know, you can build your legacy. So I'm, I'm just saying with true serum, it might be something as simple as that, you know, and having good hope, people yeah. in his ear. Yeah, or good teammates. But I, but I do think, you know, if you go back to the. I don't know, the me, me, me thing. LeBron James gets a lot of critique out here for being the GM and the coach and the, you know, star <laughs> player. I mean, there, there's got to be a little, to your point, and you were around him and you know he's a really good guy, a stand-up guy. Yes, there's, he is. There's got to be something to the fact of your pride, your ego. You're one of these, you know, the most touted guys. Like you said, the, the contract that he had, you know, kind of agreed to with the Giants was one of the best in baseball, even though the average annual value was down. So I do think, 
you know, there's definitely something in there. You got to split those things to uh, split those things out. And then I guess the last kind of overlaying issue is that he hasn't signed either of those. So yes, he took less yeah. money and yes, he agreed to go to third base, but he's still not a Met. So where does Carlos Correa end up? There was a, I, I think it was, um, gosh, it wasn't Jeff Passan, but somebody had put out that he signed a four-year deal with the Dodgers for like 180. <laughs> and I think it was a, it was a, you know, more of an April's Fool, like a spoof thing, because what would yeah. the Giants fans do? But, you know, four years obviously well, doesn't sound like something he would agree to. But, you know, I think, you know, Mr. Blum isn't uh, under contract currently with the Astros. Uh, I mean, maybe there's <laughs> going to be some desperation that comes in for Carlos Correa going, look, I got to play somewhere this year. Um, I don't have mm-hmm. anything. Maybe he does sign a lesser deal. So, I mean, do you think that could come to fruition? Or maybe does he revisit the Giants or... Or does the medical issue? I mean, how how do we predict, or what does the future hold for how this resolves itself in the next month? I, I have no idea, but it's I crazy. Think- no, I'm with you. I think it's crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's it's very it's 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 a fascinating process to me because there's two monster contracts that he hasn't been able to ink. Uh, you know, I would imagine that the Giants showing that initial in- interest would re-engage in conversation. I'm sure that Scott Boris spent the entire Christmas break calling around or trying to coerce or trying to sell Carlos Correa, which is an easy sell for me because he is a good dude. All of his, all of his, uh, numbers are trending in the right direction as far as playing time and, you know, production value and earning a 27 to $30 million contract. I think of the four shortstops that were out there, Xander Bogarts, Trey Turner, you know, Trey Turner and Carlos Correa were the two guys at the top of my list, but I think that Carlos has a little bit better glove than Trey, Trey Turner did. So I think he holds a little more value. But uh, I, I don't know. I, is it is it six years at twenty seven million dollars? Is it, you know, to protect the back end of that contract because you know that the, there's going to be some deterioration in that in that lower leg? Apparently, I don't know, and we may never know because, like you said, there's certain rules and laws in place that don't allow you to to uh, divulge all of your medical information. But there's enough there. But I think it's a combination of there's enough there as far as the injury is concerned, and then you add the value of the contract to kind of make it like, eh, I'm not sure. You know, If it was a $15 million a year contract, they'd probably be like, yeah, we'll sign them. Who cares? Let's go. And uh, But maybe it becomes incentive-laden you know, later in that contract. If you, The more you play, the more you get paid kind of thing to avoid that. And I also read in that article in The Athletic, there's a certain level of legality in what Steve Cohen said about saying, this is the piece we needed. We went and got it before that contract was signed. So was that the guarantee that the contract was going to get done? And that could be a whole nother issue. You know, can they legally hold Steve Cohen to signing this contract because he quote unquote verbally agreed to it before the medicals were even uh, thought about. So that was kind of a rookie mistake by Steve Cohen in that sense. But uh, do you have any thoughts on what might possibly happen with this Correa saga? I don't, but you you just triggered something which is is interesting because you know Boris is always burning the midnight oil. At least that's his reputation, and he's you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> backroom deals and thinking about you know what's best for his client and how he can kind of get involved in multiple areas so that you know he values you know the client the most. But the uh, the fact that the Giants. 
They didn't know what the issue was possibly, but the fact that the Giants backed out or had some challenges or issues with the fact that it was uh, a medical. And then the Mets, to your point, Steve Cohen came out, all right, we'll take him. We're going to sign him right away. And then like, oh, well, there is a medical issue. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that part, that's the part now that you just kind of touched on that stands out the most, which is the Mets must have known that the Giants thought it was a medical issue, but the Mets either didn't care about the medical issue or thought that it was insignificant, at least according to Boris. And then now, all of a sudden, it's an issue. It's kind of like, well, wait a second. Didn't you know that before? I mean, the the third team should not make this mistake. Like, Carlos (laughs) Correa is going to re-sign with the Minnesota Twins for $10 Oh, no, there's a medical issue. Well, wait a second. He played for Minnesota last year. I mean, you know, maybe he comes back to Houston. You know, I'm kidding. Um, Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But but I, that part that part is the um, I don't think to your point it was a rookie mistake by Steve Cohen. But I don't think that there's any really legality to hold him to saying, "Hey, we're excited to have Carlos coming into our building." Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you know you can get into the you know the the nuts and bolts of what he actually said. Yes, but uh, that would be a really hard thing I think to hold him to since he hadn't signed and since you know all the contracts are pending a medical. But I do find it really unusual and really strange that the Mets <laughs> didn't think the medical was an issue, even though the Giants did, and now it's the biggest issue. So I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. Good stuff. We've got some legal issues to take care of. And on the backside of our legal opportunity here to bring in a Blue Wire podcast ad, I'm going to ask Tuttle about another left coast guy that uh, has created a lot of controversy and is back. Here's a word from Blue Wire. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Bleacher Blums podcast. I am your co-host, Jeff Blum. On the other side is David Tuttle. Again, you can go to bleacherblums.com, check out some swag, check out uh, our our mailbag. You can email us questions, thoughts, uh, podcast ideas, anything you want around the game of baseball or anything outside the game of baseball. Because Tuttle played an extensive amount of time in in professional baseball, as did myself. And we are upon a very interesting situation. There is a guy, pitcher, Trevor Bauer, who pitched for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He took a a smaller contract as far as some of these contracts we're seeing now as far as length, but he took a massive annual average value of that contract and proceeded to have some legal issues and what was it, sexual assault issues, I think. 
um, and was proceeded to be suspended. He was on the restricted list for a long time. He was recently reinstated. And the Dodgers are in a bit of a predicament right now. I imagine they're going to jettison uh, Trevor Bauer and his contract. But uh, what what do you? Th- I know there's some there's some timing issues and ways to av- to void the contract for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think the easy question is: Do you think Trevor Bauer signs back after being le- if he gets let go by the Dodgers? Do you think there's any opportunity that Trevor Bauer pitches in Major League Baseball again? I do. Actually, and I and wow. I don't. I mean, wow. I'm not going to compare. I know, I do. It's so funny because I I think this is one issue that you and I kind of see differently on. Now, I think I don't think he's a good guy. Uh, we've talked before, just being here on the left coast, UCLA head coach. I know fairly well. Uh, we haven't like sat down and talked about these guys, but Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer were there at the same time. So if you ever get in any of those guys' ears, you can hear like how well they got along at UCLA and mm-hmm. how their relationship has continued. I mean, just <laughs> completely opposite guys, even though they took UCLA to the uh, College World Series. Um, Deshaun Watson, you know, was eliciting things on the internet. Uh, you know, hey, I need a massage. Yeah, come on over, that kind of thing. Trevor Bauer Great was in comparison. a relationship. But Trevor Bauer was in a relationship with this person. He wasn't out seeking like crazy women to come to his house. Uh, I think the woman went a little crazy on him. Now, all the <laughs> things that have come out mean that probably both of them have a screw loose, the woman and Trevor That's Bauer. That's a very good point. And, yeah, you can't. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. So, so, but, but, and, and this is not me just saying, oh, yeah, Trevor Bauer's an awesome guy and he got railroaded because we both know people that have gotten actually railroaded yeah, uh, where people make up stories and legit, but their, their relationship is a little bit um, off the beaten path. Let's say that. And we'll leave it at that. But he hasn't been charged. He was charged, but he hasn't been obviously convicted of anything and they're only doing the civil lawsuits the criminal charges are non-existent meaning you know and and people you know what am i like closet lawyer i mean what you read <laughs> what you read is that you you have to be able to prove a case to bring it to criminal trial um and if they don't mm-hmm. think there's enough evidence or any um sort of uh reason to bring the case that they won't so that long answer to i just think that if Trevor Bauer is not, you know, accused of a crime and certainly not um, being taken to court or trial outside of somebody, you know, he said, she said, I think, um, I think that whether the, now the Dodgers, that's a whole different thing because I think we mm-hmm. discussed this in, you know, 50 podcasts back probably that he probably wasn't a very good clubhouse guy. He was a little strange guy anyway, which, you know, you you deal with strange guys. We've talked about Zach oh, yeah. Greinke before. And, you know, you'll deal with guys that are a little There's bit unusual. Or, exactly. There's good strange. <laughs> you deal with guys that are a little unusual if they can get the job done. So I think Bauer kind of had that reputation before this all came out and he was on the restricted list. So I believe that if the Dodgers don't feel comfortable with him and they do release him out of this contract that somebody will pick him up and sign him. Um, they may renegotiate his deal. They may do a couple different things, but, uh, but I just think in my opinion, it doesn't look like Trevor Bauer has this like long, crazy history, you know, not four other women came out and said, Oh yeah, I was in a relationship with him. And this is what happened. This was, you know, between he and this lady and they both probably have a little bit of crazy. So I always think it takes two to tango. And I Mm -hmm. think that gives him, you know, a little benefit of the doubt in my mind. And I know that doesn't make him a good guy and I'm not trying to, um, 
I don't know, make excuses for what, you know, what allegedly he did. But I, I do think somebody's going to take a chance. No, but that that is it gives him a plausible opportunity to go out there and get back into the major leagues. I, I agree with you on that. Somebody will somebody will take a flyer. You know, it's it's going to be a, 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 if he, if you're willing to take on the luggage like the Cleveland Browns have with Deshaun Watson. It's a very it's it's a it's a similar scenario where you say the value of the player on the field will offset the scrutiny that I'm going to take in this society these days. And there's a lot of that going on. I'm not sure, you know, what organization is going to be willing to do that. And it's going to take a lot of work on the side of Trevor Bauer to be able to convince people that he deserves to be back in the big leagues because no matter how well he pitches, he is always going to have that cloud hanging over him. Uh, you see it with Deshaun Watson. You see it, uh, you know, the scandal with the Astros. It's constantly lingering in the background. And Trevor Bauer was really, for me, one of those lightning rods in Major League Baseball where you you know people didn't like him you know and he and he liked that he he enjoyed being that guy and uh now he's got that target on his back before this now he has an even bigger target on his back after this so the expectation to pitch as well as he can um his social media antics there's a lot going on with Trevor Bauer so if you do br- decide to bring him back it is going to be a, a PR media campaign like we've never seen before <laughs> And it's going to be a lot of pressure on him to take that field because once he steps on that field, uh, there's going to be booze, there's going to be crass statements, and there's going to be the expectation that he pitches extremely well. And who knows how many bullets are left in that arm for Trevor Bauer. That's going to be the interesting thing for me. But uh, good, good analysis. What do you got? No, that's a great point. I think, you know, some guys can handle that though. Like he likes being the villain. And I just think that's a, Mm -hmm. that's a really good point because if he likes being the villain and somebody's willing to take a chance, that may fuel him to do better. The first person that came to mind when you mentioned that was Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods was bulletproof. Um, We talk about this on the podcast all the time. The mental part of any um, high level athlete, any high level job for that matter, the mental part, you kind of need confidence and you need a support system, and you need a routine, and you need all these things to kind of be going in your favor. We've talked about being drafted into the right organization for certain people. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like all, like, you know, songbirds and pillows and fluffiness, but you do need um, the support of your head coach, for example, for a quarterback or a starting pitcher. Like, yep, we're going to give him the ball. We don't care. He had a rough outing or a rough game. Like, we trust in this guy. Like, you kind of, you know, I feel like guys have more success. And when Tiger Woods you know, was on the front page of GQ and Star Magazine and National Enquirer and all that thing went south. Well, his golf game went south with it because of what you said. I mean, because of all of the mental part of trying to be bulletproof and trying to be tough and trying to be the, you know, trying to be Tiger. And I think if anybody can handle it, I think Trevor Bauer has a good chance to do it, especially in his heart if he feels like he's been wronged or he didn't think, you know, he doesn't feel like he did anything wrong. If he knows he's a bad guy or he knows that, you know, he's going to continue this kind of dark path, then I think he'll have trouble coming back. But I do I do uh, appreciate what you said, and I think, you know, if Deshaun Watson, I mean, he's not even playing that well with the Browns. Basically, they took out Jacoby Brissett, yeah, put dude. Deshaun Watson in, and Deshaun Watson's, like, scoring 10 points a game in Cleveland. I mean... <laughs> 
I, I, you know, it's, it's not as easy as just saying, all right, this guy, you know, we're going to give him a chance and, you know, we, we're going to support him. Mm-hmm. He then has to perform. And I think if anybody can do it, uh, it'll be Trevor Bauer, but I agree. Uh, it remains to be seen. It does. And let's move on to something you texted me. We would, we were talking about some show ideas for today and you put, you typed in rule changes and I want to get your thoughts on some of those because, it kind of, tr- it, it kind of, it really for me relates to something that I read just recently this week in the news about ten, I believe it's ten umpires retiring. It kind of shocked me that you're here at this this stage in the game that ten guys are retiring. These aren't like, you know, these aren't uh, these aren't old guys. These are guys that are established. They're very good umpires and they're moving on. But what were your what what was the intention behind the rules changes what were, what sparked that idea from you Tuttle, as far as the rules changes are because i am an offensive guy uh, i know that shifts are going to affect me or affect offensive players the bigger base is going to be some t- it's going to be tough to get used to visually but the pitch clock is probably the one that i'm most curious about uh, what uh, what rule changes are jumping out to you yeah, I think we probably have to do a whole podcast on this, and we will yeah. as we get closer <laughs> to the season. But uh, I, you know, I just keep a running list of notes, and we've been off for the break, so I thought, hey, let you know, rules changes should definitely be on there. The one that sticks out to me, obviously, the pitch clock being a pitcher, I, I felt like I worked fairly fast, but um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I thought this year the pitch clock. The pitch clock is kind of coming in a year late, meaning when they had the system, the wristband system, to the uh, that sped up the game a mm-hmm. ton. I mean, I feel pitch like comp. pitchers, yeah, pitch comp. Thank you. They they are you know they're on the mound ready to go, and they know the pit. I mean, you know, there's a few shakeoffs and whatnot, but I think that mm-hmm. sped up the game significantly. But uh, I think the shift. I mean, when I played <laughs> back in my day again, third time. <laughs> but when we played, there wasn't a shift. I mean, you were allowed to do it, but there wasn't such a significant emphasis on the shift. Mm-hmm. And I think actually having the guys go back to you know playing the traditional positions, as it were, will um, you know it'll make the game certainly more offensive. I mean, if you know you hit ninety percent of your balls over here and they're all over there, then you're going to certainly see you're going to see some more. Uh, some more offense, which, you know, it's funny because steroids and the juice ball and, you know, mm-hmm. bringing the home run fences in, you know, the fences <laughs> in or lowering the mound. I mean, you know, we watch the NFL games and nobody likes a 10 to 3 football game. I think it's the same thing with baseball. I appreciate one nothing, two to one games. We see more of those in the playoffs because the pitching's better. But I think the shift is going to um, create a little more offense. And I kind of, I don't know, the old traditionalist in me likes to see the players playing the correct position. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of the one that jumps out to me. What do you think about the shift? I mean, I know you've probably yeah. given it some more thought even this year, but what do you think about the shift in terms of what will that bring to baseball and what do the players and the pitchers think about it? Uh, well, I think you gave a good idea of the pitchers. I now, now they're going to, you know, maybe, maybe it adjusts how you pitch because the shift won't be employed as, as violently as it has been in the past where you've got guys in the outfield and you're playing three, four guys on one side of the infield. It, it's intriguing to me because defensively, I like it because you, you're, you're taking all of the data and you're saying, this is going to increase our opportunity to get the out and increase our win probability, because that's what it's about. It's about winning. That's why you're using these numbers on the defensive side. But the offensive side, I think this is where the balance or the fairness of play comes in. Because if I'm a right-handed hitter, guess who doesn't play shallow left field? 
the shortstop because it's a mile. It, it's a 200 foot throw. You can't make that throw. If you play left field, I'm going to beat out the throw to first base. But I switch hit. And as a left-handed hitter, if I saw, if I ever saw that dude playing shallow right field, I was pissed because dude, I could hit a 200 foot bullet line drive at 115 miles an hour. And it's going to either get caught or it's going to get picked up and I'm thrown out at first base. So I think that's where, you know, Rob Manfred really tried to alter the game and unilaterally just said, look, we're going to take the entire thing away. We're going to keep two guys on the left side. We're going to keep two guys on the right side. You have to keep your feet on the dirt. Let's go play some baseball. So I think there's going to be a lot of left-handed hitters that have increased uh, value because they're able to find more holes because there's only two guys on that side of the field instead of three or four. Uh, so I know that, you know, the the Michael Brantley's, the uh, Kyle Tucker's, I'm just trying to think of some guys like Cole Calhoun, who doesn't have a job right now. Some of these guys who are very high contact guys from the left side are going to find more value and more opportunity on the right side. Now, Cody Bellinger, will he get more hits in Chicago? Yes. Will Joey Gallo get more hits? Yes. But at the same time, their contact rates are so low that I'm not sure it's going to make as drastic a difference for a Joey Gallo or a Cody Bellinger as it will for a Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez type who really emphasizes putting the ball in play. So the opportunity is going to create itself. But I do think, to your point, there is going to be a little bit more offense because there are so many left-handed hitters that have been robbed of hits on that right side. So now eliminating that sh that violent shift of everybody on the right side playing in shallow right field, you know, you're also moving the right fielder into the gap. So all of a sudden you take away doubles. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that unfolds. But uh, for me, you know, the pitch clock is going to be really interesting too to see how you, you already mentioned the mindset. You've got to prepare yourself to speed things up a little bit, and that's where things get a little squirrely in baseball. Yeah, I mean, I think we see that with golf, right? I mean, you know, when you're yeah, going true. slow, these guys take so long sometimes to set up a 12-foot putt, but, you know, it it makes or breaks wins and losses. And I think that's um, an if you, excellent you, parallel. If you put that correlation, like, hey, how do I want to pitch this guy? Oh, the clock, the clock, get on the rubber and – you know, panic like, pitch. yeah, ooh, panic and, you know, so I do think most of these things, as usual, are set up to make it offense, right? So if you can't shift and you got to pitch a little faster, we're going to see, a, you know, probably more offense. And I do, <laughs> you know, we, we joke about analytics on here, you know, it's the eyeball test and I'm going to say capture the energy forever because I really love that you know, mm -hmm. managing aspect that Dusty Baker uh, employed this year to win the World Series. But the analytics guys are going nuts right now. And I yes. think it's funny because we talked about Carlos Correa, but you just mentioned off the top of your head, Cole Calhoun and Jordan Alvarez and Tucker. Obviously, those guys are Astros you see on a regular basis. But I do think that that's where analytics is valuable, meaning as we head closer to after Christmas and after the new year and you start seeing these, you know, the one-year deals, the deals that you sign, you know, the utility guy and the guy off the mm -hmm. bench and the, you know, the fourth outfielder, those kind of guys – those guys are, you know, like I said, there's smoke coming out of the analytics guy's ears right now because they are looking at strikeout rate and contact. And if there are four outfielders, they're probably looking at, you know, balls hit in play at this spot, right? For each of these guys, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, this is a guy we could really utilize in our ballpark because of the yeah. way the dirt is cut and there's two guys here. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how the signings that come up before spring training, those one-year mm. deals like the Cole Calhouns that you already mentioned, good call how those play out throughout the year and then you'll see which teams 
um, have a better analytics department. And, you know, it may have a lot to do with who makes the playoffs and who doesn't. And um, I think that part is where we agree that analytics are useful. And um, it'll be interesting to see how the analytics are employed to sign the right guys for their organization as the rule changes come into play. Extremely well stated. That is my buddy, David Tuttle, explaining it the way it should. I want to play a little bit of a game now. So the umpire, there's 10 umpires retiring. I'm going to read names on this list for everybody who's listening to this podcast. And I want you to keep, I want you to tell me what jumps out to you in your car, at the gym, wherever you're listening to this. I'm going to ask my buddy Tuttle at the end of this list, what jumps out to you about this list? that I'm about to read off because these are guys that I played with in minor in the minor leagues coming up and they've spent a majority of these guys have spent at least about believe a minimum of 25 years umpiring professional major league baseball at the highest level. So here's the, the, uh, the list of retirees in the upcoming 2023 season, Ted Barrett, just a crew chief. I think in the world series this past year, Greg Gibson, Tom Hallion, Sam Holbrook, Jerry Meals, Jim Reynolds, Bill Welke, Marty Foster, Paul Newart, and Tim Timmons. What jumps out to you on that list, Tuttle? Old. Old. I'm kidding. And there might be a couple names missing. Yes, Angel Hernandez. That's what I was laughing about. <laughs> that's so he's, just put he's it on a tee, total knocks it out of the yeah, park. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, but Tim Timmons came up with uh, Chris Guccione, and Tim Timmons I knew yeah. very well. He's a big dude, big guy. He's been around. My only objection I, in the big leagues was Tim Timmons. Oh, interesting. I, yeah. I'm wondering if I, we got to tell that story. Then I was. I'm wondering if. I mean, like you said, this is the kind of job you never give up. And that's always been one of the problems with the umpiring crew, meaning it's, Umpires a, it's like a and Supreme like, Court justice. Right, you Supreme don't get Court fired. Justices. Yeah, you don't get fired, <laughs> so you stick around. So most of them have done 20, 25 years. So I'm sure the pension and all the stuff is dialed in. But I do think um, it's not a, a protest per se, but these are guys who have done it this way for a long time. And they're like, look, we're not going to deal with all these. This is my boy Tuttle coming alive right because, here. Because, well, no, because they're they're heading towards an automated strike zone, and these you guys do it. not yes. want to be around. I thought the same thing, <laughs> right? They're like, so anyway, so we got it. So no Angel Hernandez on the list. These guys have been around, they've done it, but it's the uh, probably the resistance to change, and it's a little bit of a. a Protest is a wrong word. It's a little bit of a statement about, hey, if we get out now, we have our pension, we're good. We're not going to have to make a whole lot of changes moving yeah. forward. Nope. I think that's exactly what I thought. There, there were a couple names that were left off that retirement list. And then I, I totally agree because when Tuttle texted me, let's talk a little bit about rule changes. And like he said, in future prod podcasts before the season starts, we'll really get in depth on some of it and maybe hear some of the player feedback. But I immediately thought these guys are recognizing where the game where the game is headed for umpires, not necessarily the league or the players, but where it's headed for umpires. And they said, you know what? We've had a hell of a run. We're going to get out of here before all this happens. We're going to give some of these new guys who are used to, you know, they're going to pull these guys up from the minor leagues. And guess what they've been working under? They've been working under pitch clocks. They've been working under automated strike zones. There is a new generation of umpire coming through with these guys retiring. Those were excellent points, Tuttle. Speaking of excellent points, I lost last week. I got I left about 13 points on my bench. So bad GMing on my part didn't make it a competitive game. David Tuttle has now found himself 
beating up on Jeff Blum's bangers. And now in the championship game this week, I know it was a little bit, we're recording on Friday, so it was a little bit of a rough start for Dak uh, on Thursday night's game. But are you going to be able to pull this thing off, man? Fantasy football. I think so. I do think so. And it's baby. funny because we don't believe in jinxes. But uh, you you texted me and said Christian Watson went out last week and he was your last oh. guy going. And I was watching football. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't watching that game. And it, I was Christmas was going on and there was stuff happening. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> and he was out. And I'm like, I was thinking, oh, I cakewalk. Christian Watson's out. And I had two. I had the defense of Tampa, and I had. Um, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and I'm like oh yeah. I got this in the bag and I look and you're still winning and Hopkins has zero catches in the first half and Tampa that. Bay's like so anyway I still made it a close game I mean gosh I barely squeaked it out um, Hopkins had a couple plays where obviously he's on the third string quarterback he's screaming at the quarterback he could have had a <laughs> touchdown and anyway I, it was not a cakewalk to beat the bangers now the reason I think I'll pull it out is Dak did throw two touchdowns last night and Zeke got me a touchdown. So his, I think he was like a point or a point and a half under what his prediction was. You know, oh. everybody's, but I always tell you about the predictions, like gambling. They're like, oh, Tennessee, they're out of it. Their third string quarterback's in. The Dallas is going to run, you know, win 50 to nothing. I'm like, that doesn't happen in the NFL. It was either no. Jared Goff or Dak Prescott. And I decided to take Dak Prescott. And now this is what happens in the fantasy football playoffs, too. The guy I'm playing is the number one seed. He's done it all year, um, but I've been close in points. I was second in the league in points. And the other thing mm -hmm. is he has Herbert playing quarterback. So it's the Chargers versus the Rams. The the Rams, the Chargers have already clinched the playoff, and I don't think that they can change their seed. I don't think they can alter their seed at all. Okay. So, I mean, is Herbert going to go out and throw seven touchdowns? If he does, I, I deserve to lose anyway. But, you know, the Rams seem to have been rejuvenated. They're playing at SoFi in a rivalry game, sort of. Uh, I guess. <laughs> so um, anyway, it'll be interesting to see how we pan out. I mean, you know, this doesn't always come down to quarterback. So it's going to come down to, you know, I got, I don't know, I got Dalvin Cook. Let's see if Dalvin Cook has a good game. And if that happens, I got a chance mm -hmm. to, I got a chance to come up from the sixth seed and win it all. I don't know. We're going to see. What and you happens. know who's cheering Seven for seed. you? This yeah. guy right here. Right. I'm like, bring it home, Tuttle. <laughs> we got to keep that title in the family. Tuttle title, Tuttle, Tuttle. Yeah, Something I don't like know. It, it, it somehow it rhymes and it makes sense. So hopefully, yeah. all the best to Prestige Worldwide. Prestige as Worldwide. Go, <laughs> as they go for the championship. Yeah. Another all good right. podcast. So, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say. Yeah, let me uh, let me jump in. You've been hosting the whole time. Sorry to interrupt oh. you. And so we lost uh, yesterday. We always talk. Oh, I know. Every week. <laughs> uh, so yesterday. Uh, we lost Pele. Pele passed away. I know. Uh, yeah. 82 years old. But um, as I encourage everyone at the end of this podcast all the time, right, to go get screened for colorectal cancer. My dad passed away of colon cancer. Pele, 82 years old. My mom's 79. She just came down for Christmas. 82 is not old. So I hate to tell you folks, but, you know, Pele should still be with us. And it's one of those things that you can uh, prevent by getting screened for colon cancer. So it's disappointing. I... Um, Started talking about Pele a lot this year because I was in Connecticut growing up. In, people know how old I am. But 1977, he signed with the New York Cosmos for the MISL, which was like Major League Soccer before MSL. And uh, they mm -hmm. signed all these great European stars, Giorgio Canaglia, Franz Beckenbauer from Germany, and Pele to play at the Meadowlands. And I would go to games. I would go to New York Cosmos games. And I actually oh, got damn. to watch Pele play. Granted, he was old, but... 
Um, his final game, 1977, 80,000 people at the Meadowlands watched him play a half for the New York Cosmos and a half for his Brazilian team um, that he played with kind of coming <laughs> up. So he played one half. I think he scored a goal for both teams, if I'm not mistaken. But some kind of cool like exhibition to watch the greatest guy. And if you ever... I mean, this is what I tell young people about Pele. I, mm. I turn on Vision Quest. You know the Vision Quest scene I'm talking about? <laughs> and the the chef... The chef takes the night off work. So maybe we could plug in the little sound of that. It's about a three-minute video. I'll text it to you. It's great. The chef, remember, uh, he comes, he's going to wrestle Shoop, and he's like, he went by to talk to his boss, the guy, the cook, and the guy mm -hmm. took the night off work, so he goes to visit him at his little apartment. And he goes, how come you're not at work? He goes, well, I, I'm taking the night off so I can go watch you wrestle Shoop. Isn't this the night you, you wrestle Shoop? And he goes, Yeah. He goes, but it's only six minutes. You never took a night off before to watch me wrestle. He goes, kid, it's not the six minutes. It's what happens in the six minutes. And he tells a story about Pele. He's watching oh, wow. Pele play soccer in Mex in you know on the Mexican channel, as he put it, like Telemundo. And Pele mm -hmm. jumps up with a bicycle kick and knocks it into the back of the goal. And he's like, I couldn't understand what the announcers were saying. I couldn't understand anything. I don't even like soccer. And he goes... Basically, watching what that guy did lifted, you know, lifted the spirits of all these people in the entire world. So uh, that's a kind of an encapsulation of mm -hmm. Vision Quest. But if you ever want to know how how many people Pele touched and what he did, you know, you can YouTube it these days. But uh, you know, we lost yeah. uh, one of the greatest athletes. You know, this is like Muhammad Ali passing away. Oh, we lost man, one yeah. of the greatest athletes in the entire world, and unfortunately, it was colorectal cancer. So anyway, I just had yeah. to throw that out there. No, rest in peace, uh, Pele. I agree. I'm not growing up, not being a soccer fan, I played a lot of soccer, but the name is notorious. He he was a global entity in the in the world of of soccer, and it's interesting that a lot of the moves and a lot of the plays that you see today are the genesis of how well Pele played the game, and that's kind of a credit to him and his legacy. So rest in peace, Pele. Uh, at the end of every podcast, we like to thank the military, both home and abroad, and those veterans who serve to protect our freedoms to, to talk a little bit about sports and recognize greatness. Uh, to all the first responders, both EMT, police, fire, everybody who runs into harm's way to keep us safe here uh, at home, we appreciate you greatly. Uh, all of the essential workers, doctors, nurses, Everybody that uh, is, is trying to stay ahead and keep us healthy throughout the days, uh, we appreciate you. And of course, all those teachers, Christmas break is coming to an end. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great new year, everybody. We are looking forward to a great 2023 here in the bleachers. We appreciate you being with us. And it has been a good time. We're going to keep on trucking. We know our buddy Mark Ramos. Make sure you go to crushcitytees.com. The dude is blowing up and make sure you check him out and see what he can do for your business, your charity, or just for you personally. He does wonders for us. Uh, Tuttle, why don't you take us home, dude? All right. If you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Encourage you to get after it and believe it. Believe it. And Blummer, get a job. Yeah, I need a job. Somebody. I'm available. Peace out.